you know, it takes like however long. Usually what I think right now it's taking something close to like 30 minutes per hour, maybe 20 to 25 minutes per hour of podcast. So if it's a two hour thing, then on export, just audio alone on what I'm processing everything with, it's like, I got to sit there for like an hour for a two hour podcast to come out. Yeah. When I add the video, it racks up even more. That render time is just a killer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not even editing video yet, but yeah, that well, would be. Well, I have the fortunate reality that the video editing isn't that bad. I'm not doing any color correction. I'm not right, doing yeah. any after effects or anything. It's just what's in the camera. So True. I just have to sync up the audio from this thing. True. Yeah. Which helps. Definitely. Because yeah. if I was going through and color correcting, I mean, clipping is rough because yeah. then I have to sit through the whole thing and yeah, scrub yeah. it and figure out what I want to pull from it. But just transferring it over, syncing it up isn't bad. Right. Yeah. And for your clips too, they're just like straight up. This is that segment of the pod, right? This you're not, the, you're not going like, this was cool. This was a little, and this like kind of adds in, they kind of stuttered here. So I'm taking that out. And like, sometime I will edit out if there's a long pause in between what they're saying, I'll right. cut the pauses out, but I yeah. don't pull content from a different section and combine it with content from where yeah. I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Not that it wouldn't be a bad idea to do that. And I know podcasters that do. It just kind of spices up the, the content. Load, though, yeah. If you, yeah. If you don't have to go in and make a whole little, because yeah, some podcasts will do that. Other podcasts are just like, here's the raw clip. This is what it is. Yeah. And it's just how it came out. And yeah. Well, my big Sick. thing with that is I'm just worried about the guest interpreting right. that wrong and saying, oh, yeah. oh, why did you pull this section out and combine it with something that wasn't yeah. from that portion of the segment? Yeah. That just seems like some dicey territory to walk into. Definitely. Yeah. I, I had some clips edited from uh, a previous podcast that I did that, yeah, it was like clipped up weird where I was like, I would have taken that out and then moved on to this section if you were really going to like piece it up and you know, like make a whole thing out of it. But yeah, it is what it is. Because you can almost get better content that way and make a more coherent thought yeah. if you're bouncing around a little 100%, bit. Yeah, and that's uh, Andrew Scholl's podcast, his flagrant podcast. Yep. They do that in the beginning of the pod, like as like a preview of what's, you know, a, a really entertaining moment to wait for. The highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll clip it up in the first, you know, like 20, 30 seconds or whatever. And then get into it from the jump. Which is not but, a bad way if you're trying to reel people in. Exactly, yeah. That's probably a smart path to go down. Yeah, yeah. My fear is just everything out of context. I don't want to piss anybody off and yeah. say, hey, what do you, what do you, you're doing some funky stuff on the back end here. 100%. So I just cut it for what it is and put it out there. Yeah. Do you run into that? Do you do any, oh, you don't have video, but are you taking audio clips from those podcasts and putting no, those out? No, not right now. Uh, well, I'll... If it comes out um, and there's a thing that I want to like repost for people who maybe haven't heard the podcast yet or something, and I think this is like an interesting clip from it, I'll like screen record it and then just post it on my story and post a link with it. It's probably what I'll end up doing with this one. <laughs> but Which yeah. isn't a bad idea either because, I mean, your setup over there is pretty sweet. I've seen some photos on Thank Instagram you, yeah. and stuff. You've got a badass setup, man. It's, I mean, it's a work in progress, you know, like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. It's yeah. Just constant building, buying new gear and, you know, seeing what works, what doesn't work and 
what we should, you know, swap something out for. Like I was telling you about the podcast mixer that I'm about to switch out at some point. So yeah, it's really just figuring out what the coolest thing is and you know and what works for you yeah and that's what the hard yeah, part for is bringing in the equipment yeah. yeah yeah definitely because yeah especially if you're doing video like i said like this mixer would be better than one of these other mixers that doesn't have you know six or a 24 bit 48 kilohertz capabilities which if you don't know about long form content then you wouldn't even know to look for that in a mixer you know which was 90% of how I started was just buying equipment and realizing, oh, this is not ideal it for what I'm trying to do. It doesn't serve what I need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you need to upgrade and switch it out. Yeah. So did you have a background in audio engineering or you're all self-taught? I'm pretty much YouTube University. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to YouTube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lucky that we have this platform nowadays. Um, yeah, I pretty much started everything in the backyard of my grandparents' house. And, uh, well, started everything at my friend's house in, in one of the back rooms over there. Um, and yeah, brought all my gear over there, asked if they would let me leave it all. And, uh, and then whenever there was time that worked, I would, you know, have people pull up over there and I would work on a bunch of different people's stuff. And then it just wasn't the ideal location cause it was just, it was just a table in a room and, you know, they they had a big ass dog and he would snore in the background of the recordings and stuff and it was just like yeah this isn't gonna work so i need to figure out something better and uh yeah and then we built a shed in my uh, grandparents backyard and yeah that was pretty much the start of the the juice box because it was the first like of anyone that we knew that had an actual booth to record in so it was a box you know so and my yeah, I got the nickname Juice in high school because we had open campus lunch. I went to Arcade High, and uh, so I'm from here. Uh, but yeah, I went to Arcade High and open campus lunch, so I would come back from lunch with like some form of juice all the time, pretty much. So people would call me Juice. Name just stuck. Yeah, and then I got the first like booth out of everyone that we knew to record music in, so it was the Juice Box. So Did that start out of a need? I mean, were your friends creating music and you kind of wanted to fill that void or you were just yeah. interested in the scene? Uh, so yeah, we started like, we, we all got the cracked version of like all these, you know, FL studio and Ableton and all these, uh, you know, different music programs. And I guess like, yeah, at some point I realized that everybody is producing and everybody is writing music and trying to record but nobody's actually like the engineer wanting to make the recordings and the production meld together and sound good so i was like let me just let me just figure Why that not? out yeah like I, I yeah i just felt i don't know like that was something that was needed and i really liked hearing the difference of like you could take something that's raw in this format and you could tell that it's like raw and not the best sounding thing apply all these effects and eqs and compression and reverbs and all this stuff and get it to a point where like oh this could like someone would listen to this you know it could and actually like, sound good yeah and, and yeah you would actually get people to actually listen to it so that was i think the beginning of yeah just figuring out like 
there is a need for this because no one out here is trying to do it, especially in my age group. Like there were some people, you know, older than older than we were that were that were doing it a little bit, but we're doing it a lot. Um, but I don't know that Humboldt's a weird kind of place to do that kind of stuff. It's not very open when it comes to the the music scene or wasn't when when I was coming up, you know. Even at the recording level where you're just providing the service, people were still a little yeah. hesitant to let you in that realm? Well, yeah, I would hit up a bunch of different studios that I knew of uh, in the area when I was like, you know, 15, 16, 17, and I would just try and, because I'm listening to podcasts and, um, you know, like YouTube videos of engineers in, in other areas where they're like, all you got to do is get your foot in the door at a bigger studio and then you can sit in on sessions, you can learn from them and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let me take that model over here and hitting up all these studios. And they're pretty much all just telling me like, what, like they don't really, I'm they just, don't need I'm, just I'm sure that they've probably heard that however many times and they all ended up being not very serious about what they say that they're there to learn. And I don't know. I, I was just a different case and like they just probably couldn't differentiate like how serious I was about it versus whoever else asked the same kind of questions. But um, yeah, I would hit up people like, hey, I really don't even, I don't even need anything. Let me just clean the studio for you in between sessions so I can just sit in and watch. Won't even ask any questions. Just let me watch, be there while music is being created. And yeah, I didn't really get much uh, love back about that. So I was like, all right, I'll just start it all on my own and see what I can do. And uh, yeah, so I built the shed in my grandparents' backyard uh, with the help of my grandpa and one of my friends and built a booth and then started having all these people over. And it was a tiny, it was like literally maybe half the size of this room, if that. It was pretty wild and we would pack it out with like six, seven people sometimes. So it would get really hot and we'd be in there from, you know, maybe like two or three in the afternoon till after the sun's up the next day for a good, you know, I was unemployed at that time really. So, Which uh, helps. Yeah. It you're going to try helps. to start something, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, we were in there for, it, that was probably like a good eight months or so where I was just like every single day nonstop in there. That's where I learned how to use auto-tune very well. I used how to, learned how to EQ pretty well and like all this other stuff. And um, auto-tune is like a really big part of my experience recording people because like, I don't know, I just really gravitate toward like really awesome melodies and artists that are more melodic versus like just straight up like rap. Um and so, yeah, that kind of like started everything, um, kept it out of the, that backyard of my grandparents' house for some years and got like crazy people in there that you wouldn't even believe. Uh, and it was pretty wild having to like explain to them every time we got to go in through the side gate, we got to go through the thing. And my grandma is yelling through the window sometimes that we're being loud or whatever. And, and you're trying to be professional back there. Like, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. legit spot. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, little, <laughs> yeah, stupid little couch that had like leather peeling off of it and stuff. And, you know, beginner vibes. It's the whole. But that's all part or, of the fun is the, the origin, origin story. story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, 
to, what was it, 20, we started that in like 2017, really. Because um, I started recording people at like people's houses and stuff like 2013. And then I got serious about it like 2017. And then. So it was just kind of a side hustle for those first four years. It wasn't even a hustle. It was just, I was wasn't just making money. Yeah, I was just doing it when I had time and I really just wanted to do it. I didn't start making money for real with music until City Hippie started to get booked for shows and stuff. And that was a group that we started in the backyard of my grandparents' house. And um, yeah, we didn't really make any money until, yeah, like some of the songs started to pop off a little bit. We got a little bit of streaming income, but streaming income really only gets you so far, especially when you're, you know, not getting millions of plays. You're getting like tens of thousands. Um, and then... Yeah, it's really the the show bookings that started to get us like more popular and all over the place. And we were getting booked for, you know, we opened for uh, <laughs> this is before the pandemic. So it was like when these people were a little more popping. Now I think they're not really up there like that. But we opened for like Blueface in Santa Barbara, yeah. uh, Bad Baby in San Luis Obispo. Uh, we did what Comethazine in Oakland. Uh, and we, you know, did a couple festivals. We did the Emerald Cup in Sonoma County, and yeah, so we were, we were on our way. Um, and then yeah, pandemic kind of like shut that sort of wrench into everything. Yeah, yeah, we were booked for like headline gigs and talking about other things down in uh, in SF. Um, and yeah, the pandemic kind of like because it was a big collective of people. At one point, it was ten people in City Hippie. Yeah. And, uh, not all of them were making music consistently, but, you know, there was always a good solid, maybe five or six, um, that were like continuously making music all the time. And then, uh, yeah, the pandemic really just ruined the momentum for like most of the people. Um, and at this point, some of them moved away, um, to other areas cause the pandemic really like shifted a lot of people's you know, just journey in life, you know, it made people have time to be able to reflect and decide like what's really worth pursuing, you know, from here forward. Like it was a really big change for a lot of different people. I think it made a lot of people realize what they actually want to do mm -hmm. and what they want to try to pursue. hundred percent. Realize I don't want to work in this grocery store if the world's falling apart. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe I should start that online hustle that my boy was telling me about and I kind of talked, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I didn't really take it serious, but yeah. So part of that for me was, uh, there's a guy that I met through a mutual friend up here, which is so crazy, dude. Humboldt's so weird. Like the random connections that people happen to have that you would never imagine. Um, and so I met through a mutual friend, the engineer who recorded uh, everything for Travis Scott, literally days before rodeo, rodeo, uh, birds in the trap. Um, and what's the other, uh, parts of like Astro World and stuff. And then, um, he also had simultaneously recorded Kendrick's damn album, uh, and like a bunch of other crazy stuff. He's where he did Usher's, uh, Raymond versus Raymond album. He did SZA's Control album, it, just really, really big engineer, you know? And uh, 
randomly, I knew someone out here who was friends with him. They went back like a while back, like like a decade or so. Um, and this guy was like telling me, you know, like, oh, you got to meet my friend. He's this dope engineer, blah, blah, blah. He did all this. And, you know, like, I don't know if, if in the music industry, you hear that from everybody and all their friends and, you know, oh, I know this dude and that dude and whatever. And you kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, it's kind of people like to flex and throw out names and half the time it doesn't really more than half the time, maybe 80% of the time it doesn't end up being anything. Um, this dude ended up flying him out here for um, an event that he was doing, like a cannabis related event. And the dude was just there. And I was like, oh, dude, I didn't even know that this is who he was talking about. I've been following this guy for like three years already on Instagram. And yeah, so I finally got a chance to meet this guy. And he's insane engineer. He also worked with like Lil Wayne on some stuff. So he's just everywhere. Um, and yeah, and then I ended up meeting him during the, I think that was during the pandemic, if not like maybe 2019. I think it was the early 2021 though. Um, but either way, so I maintained that relationship and like, you know, we followed each other on Instagram or whatever, kept in touch a little bit. And then eventually he posted on a story. I think this was 2021. Yeah. This, yeah. So I met him probably in 2020. And then 2021, uh, he posts that he's looking for an assistant. And I was like, oh, ha ha, too bad I don't live closer to LA, you know, like as a joke kind of a deal. And he replied, like, why not? Why don't you? And I was like, I don't know, but like, I don't, and he's like, well, we could, I mean, we could figure something out if you really want to. And I'm like, all right. Uh, I don't know. So I'm screenshotting it, sending it in the group chats and stuff. Like, yo, what is this real? Like, what is he, what do you think he means by this? You know, like what, what's going on? And, um, yeah. So then I ended up, uh, long story short, packing everything up, uh, and, telling my roommates to take care of my dog and you know all this kind of stuff and left her up here um i still paid because my dog is still living at the house so i was still paying rent up here but i was getting the covid unemployment stuff and so i had income without me needing to do anything really so i was like all right i'll just go live out of my car i guess down there um and yeah so i went down there for i don't know how long it was I, I didn't have a return date. I was just like, I'm going. I don't know how what's going to happen, but I'll be back at some point, you know? And uh, yeah, so I went down there and did a bunch of crazy stuff with him and worked on a bunch of really cool music. Um, yeah, I walked into him mixing a Tony Hawk session, which was pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, Tony Hawk. Were you getting doing- paid for this? We're working with him or no? No, was I wasn't. All- yeah, I was just like, I just want to learn. Like, he he had opportunities lined up where he was like, if you want to do blah blah blah, then like we could get you paid for this kind of work and all this stuff. Um, but I don't know. I was just like, I kind of at the same time I was really like missing my dog, really, um, and living out of my car, you know. And she's a pit bull husky mix, so I couldn't really realistically bring her in the car. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, a rough 
little scenario for me for a while, but uh, yeah. And then eventually, uh, so I stayed down there there for some months and just worked with him um, in that studio and met a bunch of different people through him. Um, people that produced for like Migos and uh, I think Janet Jackson's producer. Um, well, so some pretty heavy hitters. Yeah. And you're living out of your car. While yeah. You're living this. out of my car. Yeah. And just around all these people. And, and so the main studio we were working at, uh, was at the, it was the home studio of the guy who is the, the guitarist for the circle jerks. I don't know if you know the circle yeah. jerks. Yeah. They were just up here. They sold out ATL, uh, like this last week. But, uh, yeah, so they're like legendary 70s punk rock band. Um, and so at that guy's house, his whole house is basically a studio. They, uh, and it's got crazy, super rare vintage stuff everywhere. And it's like ridiculously expensive. But uh, yeah, that was the main studio we were working out of and worked with yeah, a bunch of people that worked with like Anderson Pack and like I said, Migos and yeah, a bunch of different people. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then ended up when I came back up here from that trip, uh, I don't know how long I was down there, like f maybe five months, something like that. Just living out of my car. I've never even lived out of my car before. I was like, I'll try it, dude. Whatever. What a crazy experience just yeah. to get to learn under these guys. Yeah. I mean, that is, sometimes that's what it takes, you know, like, yeah, it's that's really, what you got to do. I mean, it's an opportunity. That's all I saw is like, let me just try it <laughs> but some people see that and think no i can't do this yeah like, i'm not gonna go live out of my car for five months just yeah. so i can get a little experience in this field yeah i mean i don't know you just adapt i i was taking notes on uh and doing a little uh you know you can make like a pin on uh, apple maps and so i would pin like okay that's a safe quiet spot to sleep you know to park uh this vaughn's bathroom code is this uh all the different I'm, I'm, yeah i'm writing down bathroom codes for all the different in case i find myself in this area and whatever and yeah and i'm writing down like where the good place to sleep is and uh yeah all that kind of stuff because i just needed to to do it and just be down there as long as i could while i was still getting my covid unemployment money because yeah once that ran out, that's pretty much why that was the bigger reason why, like financially, why I was just like, all right, it's pretty much it's up. I can't really like be down here and not be making money. Um, and uh, yeah, but we were in studios until we would pass out in the chairs, bro, like just knocked out. Like, it was pretty crazy. I was sleeping sometimes in the uh, recording booth or sleeping like on the floor of the studio. Yeah. What a perfect series of events that you have COVID where you can get these checks and yeah, you're going to be <laughs> slumming it, living out of your car, but at least, you know, your dog's okay up here. Yeah. I would assume you had a little bit of money for food. Yep. Yeah. And then you're just living out of your car. Yep. Yeah. So I could still pay rent up here and keep my dog safe and, you know, taken care of and I could still eat and yeah. That's 90% of... I think doing anything is recognizing opportunity and jumping when you see it and you saw it. Absolutely. But yeah. Some people, they see that and they're like, again, no, I can't do this. There's too many hurdles. I'm not down there. Yeah. I don't want to live out of my car. What am I going to do with my dog? 
Yeah. I don't know. I just had like a lot of really perfect situations in my mind. I mean, I don't know. I'm very opportunistic anyway, but I saw it as like, cool. I got these people that I trust enough to be able to take care of this. And I got those and I got this and I have a car. Actually, I, that was a whole other thing. I didn't actually have a car that would have made it down to LA. So that was another factor that I totally forgot is, um, I had a little junky beat up car. And, uh, so I sold that and took out a loan with, or no, at that time I had crypto money low key. Cause I was before the taxes, all the crypto stuff. I got super heavy into NFTs before they started like doing all the, the tracking, all the stuff for taxes and everything. So I was doing really well on that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I used a lot of that money to buy a car just in cash. I just did the whole thing. Swapped and I just, it out. Yeah. I swapped it out and I got a good enough car to get down there and live out of and did that whole thing. And then when I came back, I swapped it out for a different car. Cause I was like, I don't want to keep this car. It holds like weird memories now. Cause I slept in that thing and it's like a, I don't know. Yeah. Too close to it. Now. Yeah, it was, bonded yeah, yeah. Too much with that car. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So I, I did a lot, honestly. Yeah. I saw opportunity and was just like, let me just swap some things out, move things around. And it took like probably six months or so from the initial conversation of like, why not? Why don't you get down here and we could figure it out kind of a deal to me actually being prepared enough to, to go down. But yeah, it, I made it work. It happened. What was, I mean, I would imagine your skill over those five months just went through the roof working in proximity with these guys. Yeah. Well, and I was very new to pro tools when I went down there and now I'm like, I'll zoom around. Like that's people compliment me during sessions all the time about how fast I am on pro tools and how well I know all the different stuff that I'm going through. Cause when I record people, I'm like, I don't know. I'm of the mentality like you're paying me for my, for, you know, you're paying me, but this is also like your money and your time and stuff. So I would rather knock out the recording side of everything as quick as possible so that we can get all this creativity laid down and then we could take however long we need on the mix, you know, but I'm still going to, you know, deliver on that as quick as I can as well. But the recording to me is is very important because that usually takes the longest time depending on the artist and depending on like the the level of creativity that they want to go into the mixing side of the song but um yeah i so i went from like beginner pro tools didn't barely knew how to like you know where things were located in the sorry in the project to just yeah super fast yeah super fast just know all the keyboard shortcuts and all the little quick tricks to get all these things cut out and moved around and automated and all this kind of stuff real fast pro tools is that kind of the preferred editing software yeah pro tools uh pretty much is like the industry standard software for most studios like if you go to any studio in the world that records music, I'd say probably at least 85 to 90% of the time they're going to have Pro Tools. That's the staple. Yeah. 
is it i mean i'm only familiar with things like audition is that kind yeah. of the same realm uh i mean audition is adobe's audio software right yeah yeah so i mean it's similar in the way that it's revolves around audio but pro tools is like the most like complex comprehensive like you could do a lot with it it's a very powerful software yeah no imagine once you get all those shortcuts down and stuff you're just you're dialed in oh, i'm yeah, still I, I haven't even started to dive into the shortcuts yet i've got everything figured out just enough where i can get it going yeah it's almost like duct taping wd-40 right and yeah. I'm gonna trudge through it yeah yeah no the 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 shortcuts are really, that's what makes Pro Tools like the most powerful thing that I've ever used. It's like, dude, you could just clip things out so quick and just move them around. And I don't know. I just, I know it like the back of my hand now. I got control save right here because I'm a Windows boy at heart, but I just switched to Mac like three months ago. I do. I, I prefer the Mac interface. Yeah. Apple just has it down. It's sleeker. It looks better. I feel yeah. like it's more intuitive, but I say that and then I'm on Windows doing all this. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It took me like, I think only in the last like two to three weeks, I started feeling comfortable on Mac. And even still, like I find myself like, how do I figure like, how, what, a, where is this? You know, like I'm looking for even like downloads, like they don't show you the download speed. I get so annoyed with that on Mac. It's just like, it'll just tell you the time remaining. And that's it. And I'm like, okay, but how many megabytes per second is moving right now? Like, yeah, I'm, how long am I going to be sitting here yeah, waiting? Yeah, on this? because I know time estimated is depending on the megabytes per speed that you're getting right now. So is that consistent? Or because I know it's not just flatline. I know that it goes up and it goes down. So the time, the estimated time is going to change. I need to know the speed that's moving right now so that I can fully get a good estimate. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I grew up on Windows. I started using computers when I was like, like my mom has pictures of me on the computer, like in diapers. So I've been on, and that was Windows until, yeah, like three months ago. <laughs> Why'd you switch just to mix it up? Um, well, the M1 and M2 MacBooks, I feel like are super, super efficient. Um, and that is part of the reason. Um, so I got it. I got an M1 Max. Um, and the other reason is that most studios run Mac because I think that Pro Tools was initially designed for Mac mm. and then they became compatible with Windows later. But, um, the way that it runs on Windows is very kind of clunky, like versus Mac. And I don't know if that's by design. Or if that's like something within the operating system that it has to run this way. But like, especially if you're running multiple monitors, um, Pro Tools for Windows, and this is like really weird, nerdy, <laughs> whatever <laughs> that most people don't care about. But, um, but if you're running it on two monitors, right, it has to, they have to operate within the same, like, window behind right because there's two different there's a mixer side right and that shows all the the mixers and faders and all this stuff and then there's the playlist side which is the actual audio waveforms and all that and when you have them in windows they have to operate within the same 
uh, underlying window. So you have to like stretch this one window. And if you have two different aspect ratios or two different resolutions or whatever, the, the operating window behind them has to stretch to be a weird, it was just like really, really weird. It wouldn't work. It didn't work very well on windows. You, ha you had to finesse it. And once you figure out how to finesse it, you can make it work. But with, um, with Mac, it's really easy. It's just, those are two separate windows and you just, this one's here, that one's there. If you want that one full size, you just double click and it's there. And same with this one. If you don't want it full size, that one's separate from this one. So you could just, and that one thing alone seems like very minimal, but it was just so annoying, dude, to deal with on windows. Cause if anything's off at all, it, all of a sudden you have to like refinesse it and it takes like a good little anything that's the other thing anything with audio that takes more than like a split second more than like one to two seconds to actually like get something done when you're in that creative zone and you're really working at like high speeds it's it becomes the most annoying thing ever well especially if you're doing it every day yeah. You're facing this small problem yeah. every time you're recording. Yeah. That adds up to a lot of time. 100%. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. That was another reason just switching over to Pro Tools, too, is like I watched people on YouTube do all the. It's like their fingers are moving like this, and the artist doesn't even have to think about anything. And they just, you know, start them back from the top, and then boom. They want to keep this take, but they want to do another one. It's a couple short little, you know, keyboard combinations and you're already doing all this different stuff. You can keep stuff in the, in the background so that it's not taking up space on the screen, but it's still there and then record over it and keep it and like a bunch of different stuff. You can move things around really quick with just your hands. You don't even have to use the mouse if you don't want to. It's, yeah, it's a really hard software to learn but once you get good at it it's it becomes very intuitive and you can get the, dialed in and the shortcuts are really the key yeah so are you recording this is going to sound like such a far out question because yeah. i'm not familiar with recording on that scale i mean i've got yeah. this super basic yeah, youtuber yeah, setup you know definitely yeah so when you're recording are you recording into your computer or is it like the stereotypical image people would think of in a recording booth where you have that giant setup? It's almost like a table. Yeah, of like a controls. huge board. Yeah, yeah a yeah. control board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I don't have a board because I mainly just do vocals right now, recording wise. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like if someone comes in with like a string instrument, like a guitar or like a trumpet or saxophone kind of a deal or that kind of stuff, we can do that. Um, but if you're only recording with like, one mic at a time or even just two mics at a time you really only need an audio interface and then you don't need like a huge board because the board the reason why it has so many you know channels right there is because each one of those can take in another mic so if you're recording drums right you need like seven eight nine mics or more to be able to record drums because you need one on the snare and then you know so that would the, be more so if you're going to have a full band like a go band. in yeah and, and especially if they're recording simultaneously yeah you want like a 32 64 channel mixer because okay. that makes yeah, sense because you're going to need a mic on each one of those channels you know and you're going to be doing simultaneously recording like 32 tracks or whatever you know 
versus a lot of what I'm doing is just one mic at a time. And so, you know, for like vocals, you don't need more than one mic. You yeah, know? you could just strip it down to what you need, the bare bones. Yeah. And get in there and do it. Yeah. And so I have my studio like very meticulously designed and plotted out so that we can get vocals done really well. Um, and then, you know, we also do the podcast, but I have a separate mixer for that. that's similar to this one. It's got eight channels on it. But, you know, for podcasting, you might want like, you know, like this one has, it's got like six different channels for microphones specifically so that, you know, you can simultaneously record six, you know, or eight or whatever it is. Yeah, especially if you want to get in there and clean up the audio. Yeah, on each individual yeah, channel. when you yep. record it as just one stereo track. Yeah. You can't isolate background noise. Yep. You can't yep. run a compressor over an individual voice. You have yep. to do it just across the board, mm -hmm. which is super. That's how I started again. Yeah. Was, I would, you just mix it all into one thing and then start. I had like a checklist of things I would do to it because yeah. I watched a couple of videos and they're like, okay, do a compressor, normalize right. it. Right. Maybe throw a low pass filter over there. Yep. Call it good. Yep. It just sounds like dog shit. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you don't, I mean, sounds like dog shit. And arguably, this still does sound like dog shit because I'm still in that early learning stage. But no, your, your podcast sounds clean. I, I mean, compared to a lot of, yeah, a lot of different ones, especially, yeah, like stuff that's, because a lot of people have like beginner podcasts like everywhere. It's so popular now you know like everyone everybody just and their grandma has one set up a little blue yeti mic in the room and they just go and that's it uh but yeah no your yours sounds good though like I, I put it up right next to all these other like i like to a b stuff a lot so i'll just it's a good way to learn yeah so yeah i i mean earlier today i was listening to uh what your episode with q Oh, yeah, Scott Marcus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's my, I only had one meeting with him technically, and I should have more, but he's technically my SBDC advisor, my small business development center advisor. So like when I was starting my studio, they paired me up with him to be my advisor. So, and he just gave me like checklist of all this stuff. He asked like, you know, my vision for like where I want to take the studio, what kind of, you know, all that kind of beginner business questions kind of um, formulating a plan out. yeah and uh gave me good things to think about um you know for like the direction of where i want to take this and eventual things that i want to get into like uh education with youth kind of a deal or like you know different ways to to form different forms of income for the studio in you know on top of just recording so yeah but I was listening to um, that episode earlier and then back and forth with Andrew Scholl's podcast. And it's like, I mean, it's close, you know? It's, it's yeah. definitely <laughs> beginnerish still. I yeah. mean, the hard part here is background noise is huge. That's why I turned the fan okay. off. It's because I, I can't stop thinking about, oh shit, this is going to be have, the best. Do you have the Isotope RX uh, plugins? No, what I do no. is uh, in audition, is that a background noise remover? Yeah, well, Isotope RX is like the, there's like different versions of it. So they have like a massive package that's like, I don't know, like two grand or they something stupid. They have a stupid, debreather but, plugin, I mm -hmm. think, that I've come across and thought about 
yeah. snagging that one. Well, what I really like of of theirs is the uh, the background noise removal and their D click. So when someone has like a dry mouth and their mouth makes all these that. little click, yeah, yeah. yeah, or any of the little like. Ah, yeah, I don't like to talk about it on podcast because it really once you start paying attention to it, it's there, you know, like it's hard to not hear. And uh, we have some guests on the uh, what we didn't learn in business school podcast that occasionally will come through and their mouth is like super dry. And if they don't have water with them or like don't think to drink water in the moment and they don't pay attention to the clicking in their voice, it it's there. <laughs> and so those plugins are really helpful for uh getting rid of any of those noises that just come in and yeah i'll have to check that out the the background noise my approach to it now is i just isolate it before we start the podcast and i'll right. just run the mics and then go into audition and you can select that and just kind of compress but mm-hmm. even that you're still degrading the vocals throughout the whole thing right and so yeah. that's a bit of a challenge yeah I don't know. They're, I really like their um, background noise removal um, plugin. I was using, because can you load plugins in on Audition? Yeah. Yeah. From, I believe you from, can do the Isotope ones because that's what I was looking at. Okay. You can like do like waves. Outside, yeah. Okay. Wave cool. has another debreather plugin. Yeah, but supposedly is I was good. using the waves one before and the Isotope one's better. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out Isotope. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I think it's really not expensive. You can get it for like thirty, maybe fifty or something for the whole package. Like okay, yeah, per month for all their so, no, oh. like just yeah, one time. Yeah, payment. you get the license. Yeah. Oh shit! I gotta look into that. Now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're good to have. I end up using them randomly on some, like sometimes even um, I bought them for or maybe. I think there's like a one of those packages for that and then there's like a higher up thing and then there's, there's like multiple tiers of different levels yeah of, they do have some package that's a couple grand at least yeah, I remember yeah, looking yeah. at that and thinking, but that's, that's for like movie studios yeah. and like big production places that are yeah doing like big film stuff mostly um but uh damn i forgot where i was gonna go with that i don't know it makes okay. a difference i mean the breath sounds i can't tell you how long in the past more so you just spend isolating that and editing mm-hmm. and i used to scrub through the whole podcast and edit those out because it would drive me crazy because <laughs> that's all i could hear yeah. is just yeah. me breathing into the mic and a lot of it is mic placement but it'd be yeah. me breathing into the mic the guest breathing into the mic yeah and when you're see the problem is is i don't know how much the audience catches that but when you're right. stuck with a recording and you're listening to it and then oh, yeah. you're listening to a couple a week Yep. For months at a time. Yep. It just drives you insane. Another big yeah. one for me was like. I used to say like all the time. Filler words. And yeah. then you, re- yeah, or um. Yep. And once you notice that, yeah. you can't unsee it. Yeah. And it just fucks with you for every additional podcast. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, especially as someone who is constantly on a podcast, for sure, that's going to be something that you immediately pick up and. Yeah, you just get better at it over time, but I am newer to speaking on podcasts. I listen to them all the time, every single day, nonstop, and I produce a lot of them every single week. So, but yeah, it's still speaking on a podcast is still a little bit newer to me. So I definitely need to work on my likes and ums and all those filler words. 
No, you've done good. I've had a guest on before where it was so bad. The guest said like and um, and I think it was like 20 times within the span of maybe three minutes. Oh, wow. And I just, we ended the podcast after that. We got to stop because it was just driving me insane and I didn't want to. You, you can't point it out to the guests in the moment because then that's all they think about and it makes it, they yeah. want to say it more because yeah. subconsciously they can't balance that. Yeah. So it's something kind of you have to do afterwards. Yeah. But it was just, and it, it was towards the beginning. So I was a little more green in how to approach that. And it just, I was sitting over here almost grinding my teeth. Of, oh, yeah. This yeah, is going to yeah, sound yeah. so bad when we play it back. Yeah. There's a couple of people. Yeah. Where some of these even bigger podcasts, like, Cause I, I listen to like a lot of comedic podcasts more so than anything else, just cause life is so serious, dude. And I'm, I'm always working on so much music that I'm like, instead of listening to music, like I haven't, I actually, I was talking about, um, this with one of my friends the other day is, uh, we don't really listen to like new music that often anymore, like new albums. I went back and this year so far, I've listened to three new albums, which in previous years is insane. Like I used to, I used to listen to every new album all the time. And I used to be in high school. I was the guy that had the, um, and even in college a little bit later until I, it just became too much to, to do, but I had an email list and I would get all the leaks or like the, the newest album, like before it was out. And I had an email list of like 50 people eventually that I would be sending albums to all the time and i was the guy that had them downloaded on the computer and would send them out to everyone you know google drive or dropbox or whatever and uh yeah and now it's like i heard three albums this year i can't even tell you the last time i listened to a whole album yeah well, song yeah that's the other thing too is i i'm like a very i i look at it the same way as like a tv show or a, or a movie is like there is a piece of work that this person specifically put out these songs out of all the, because I know on the back end what it takes to make an album. I know that, you know, we did uh, for City Hippie, we put out an, a project in, I think, 2019, might have been 2018, called Love Ties. And for that project, it ended up only being, I think, 12 or 13 songs. But for that process, we recorded probably, I think we had it to like 42 songs and then we nailed down like the most cohesive ones out of that that would fit this, uh, you know, general theme that we're trying to do. And that brought it down to like 24 or so, 23 maybe. And then from those we go, okay, how do we slim this down to like the top, the best of the best? And then from there broke that down to whatever ended up being 12 or 13, maybe 14. And then, and then I knocked off like one or two. Um, and so I know that there is maybe a hundred songs on, you know, like major artists, maybe more than a hundred songs that are recorded and considered for this thing. And then you nail it down to, you know, your top 12, 15, 16, whatever. And then place them all in a in an order that you want people to take you know a journey through 
And that process, even we went through like five different iterations of, you know, do we go this song to that one, to that one, to that one? Do we leave them with this kind of a feel? Do we want to? So it's like a journey. And not all albums are conceptual albums in that way, but I like to think of most of them in that way. And so I think that a, a full album is like how the artist wants you to consume that art. And so I, from a young age, I don't even know when, would always listen to a full album, like front to back. And then, uh, so that's like the first experience of like, this is how they want you to, to listen to it. And then because uh, once streaming platforms happened, I used to just hit shuffle after I would listen to it chronologically from front to back, then I would hit shuffle and then I would just like, then you get to pay attention to like individually each song and then how it plays off of the other ones without the order. And you go, and then you start to realize like the theme or like the message kind of that they are consistent with throughout the, the project. And then uh, now with streaming services, if I like the songs, then now they're chronologically whatever the last one that I liked. So if I listen to it in a chronological order front to back, now it's reversed in my likes. So now I listen to the album backwards too. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that there's more in the mute and maybe I'm a weirdo for that, but you know, uh, that's how I like to consume music. And that's where my mind goes when people drop albums. But for that same reason, I don't have a lot of time right now that I'm sitting around like just looking enjoying for, music. Yeah. Looking for something to listen to, especially for music. And even for pod, like when I'm listening to a podcast, uh, I'm out doing stuff. So, and so music, I, don't, I, I think that there's so much music that I work on that I need a break uh, when I'm out doing everything. So I listen to too many podcasts. Like, well, and the, the challenge is you understand how much work goes in on the backside yeah. of creating an album. Yeah. You know, you get to see it firsthand, the hundreds of hours that you're putting in to make this piece. So I think you have a little more appreciation for the process in that sense. 100%. And I wonder how much of it is, like you said, streaming or even more so the TikTokification mm. of music where now it's just put out a single and even more so put well, out a single that's just catchy enough to catch online mm -hmm. and not even be something that people really want to listen to, but it fits the TikTok algorithm. It fits clips that people are going to cut, well, TikTok dances. And not only just the TikTok algorithm, but the Spotify algorithm, the Apple Music algorithm, those all have their own algorithms and they actually are incentivizing artists to not make albums. They incentivize you to make a single because they treat an album the same way you would think of um, like a carousel of images hitting Instagram. They're all on one post. So if you drop an album, it's treated the exact same way. So if you post like five images in one post on Instagram and you know that that post specifically didn't do very well, it's the same way an album works. It only hits that algorithm one time and they don't give each individual track a chance to hit the algorithm and be seen by everyone. They get one notification that you dropped something, right? It's a single release. So with this one release, they're going to promote whatever the most popular song is or whatever the first song is, one of the two. And if people don't like either of those or one of those, then the whole album just gets glossed over. 
And so they do incentivize because you have a better chance, you have better odds. You know, it's the same thing with Instagram where instead of posting five pictures on one post, why don't you just break them up and do like a post here and then two days later post the next one and yeah, because if one tanks, it doesn't sink. Exactly. You have more chances to yeah. actually hit the algorithm and one of them might pop off. So the same way with Spotify algorithm, Apple Music, all these different things is like they want you to do multiple rather than group them all into one project. Well, yeah. if you're a smaller artist, it seems like that would just incentivize you to do the single and not worry mm -hmm. about creating a whole album. Yeah, 100%. And that's what they want. And yeah, which is fine. Uh, yeah, from like a back end kind of perspective, I think that most people don't need to drop albums anyway, unless you have enough of a fan base to actually like care that you dropped an album, you know, and consume the whole thing. Yeah. Well, cause you can put together an album and that's cool. And it could be the, the best album ever but if nobody wants to hear it you have to have demand first you know you're you are oversaturating the market by providing what isn't in demand you're creating more supply than there is demand so it's just creating excess just to, and putting it out more so just to have it there versus like what we're doing with reef right now who's uh one of my artists that uh is from city hippie uh actually have an old video that i just found recently that i didn't know that i had of us when we were like probably 13 maybe 14 uh recording at one of my friends houses um and it's pretty crazy but so i've known him for a long time and uh what we're doing with him right now is it's singles and we're just promoting the hell out of each single and that's the way that it needs to be like he does have uh at this point almost 250 unreleased songs on my computer right now and this is all only in the last like maybe six months or a year something like that and they're all crazy super high quality nice like vulnerable stuff like you know very he's like we're we're hitting this this little pop right now where people want to hear emotional music from him and more vulnerable vulnerability. So, um, and the only reason we know that is because we dropped one song that was in that lane. We you know we did like a few little things, whatever. And then we're like, yo, this one, it, we know just from like our experience creating it, this is a crazy one, you know, like emotionally. And then when we dropped it first day, we didn't even talk to anyone about it or anything, you know, we just put the marketing up and, you know, popped a little video up on Instagram and everything. And within that first day, we had probably 25 people call or hit us up or whatever, talking about how they cried to this song like three times this morning or, you know, they're going through something with their, uh, their relationship and they listened to it together and it helped them like you know, work out some emotional thing that was going on or whatever. And, um, you know, we took that as a sign of like, oh, this is not only music that we like to create and we think is important for us to create, but now we have demand in the market for it, you know, and not only 
for this type of music, but for him specifically to create this type of music, right? So now we go, all right, out of the 200 plus songs that we have that are unreleased, what are the top five that would be compared to this one, you know? And now, all right, let's work on getting videos for this one. Let's figure out how to keep feeding this machine of like very emotional stuff that people can connect to and relate to. And so then we dropped the next one and it got even more, you know, more love and more attention and, you know, plays and landing on playlists and whatever. And so now we're lining up the next one right now uh, off of this like emotional wave of, of music that we've been working on for a long time. Like we have a ton of them that fit this lane and we're like, all right, we can, you know, we got a bunch of different like rap, you know, more like fun, energetic kind of stuff. But you know, if the market wants that from him, like, you know, we just have to ride this wave and see where it goes and we can toss in later, you know, like some of the more fun, energetic stuff. But if this is what people want, we kind of have to, go by that you know like if there, you know there is demand so we want to meet that demand you know is that kind of a challenging thing to walk through where you have audience demand on one side versus maybe what the artist wants to create it seems like it worked out for reef because both of those things kind of coalesced with what he created and what the audience wants but right i would imagine you could fall into that pit of audience capture where instead of making what you really want to make you're just making this thing that the audience wants and they're trying to capitalize on that a hundred percent i think a lot of artists fall into that um but with this it's really like it's more just perfect timing yeah it's it's good for that and then um yeah uh damn i had a a thought and i totally it totally totally disappeared (laughs) damn well i would imagine it's more so for maybe when you're you're getting to this higher level where the audience expects this kind of one thing from you like if you're a country yeah. singer and you've built your brand on that and then you want to try to do rap or something oh, then yeah, it seems like sure. it would get more dicey because your audience expects this one type of music from you yeah, yeah, yeah and so you might be less willing to branch out and create something new for fear of them having some sort of backlash right i mean and and i know that a lot of artists will still create it right but they might not release it and because those are two completely different, there's so many songs that we've created that are just not going to drop. Is that because and they're not good or they're just not? No, there, there could be a bunch of different reasons. Like it might not, there's like, there's so many songs that are half finished and maybe like we just can't come up with a way to like come up with a good ending for this, right? And sometimes that's fine because it might just be like, it might just be a creative idea or energy that you needed to get out. And that's part of music as well. It's just like, it's a, it's, it's like a therapeutic process sometimes, depending on, you know, what you're creating. And I think that unfinished music is fine to have. Uh, I think if it's, if it has potential to be like something that people want to hear, then I think it's worth going back and trying to finish it. Um, but a lot of music that I do is, at least with, uh, with Reef, with Soul, with Rowdy, with um, a lot of these artists that I'm working with right now that are, that are just 
very creative people that are just creating music to create music. And, you know, we're not really, they, they all kind of have somewhat of a following and some experience with creating music and, you know, book, booked for shows and doing all these different kinds of things, traveling for music. And so there's like less pressure on everything that gets recorded has to be finished or else we're not doing the work that we need to do or whatever the i don't know like i think some artists that are newer kind of fall into this like every song that gets recorded has to be released and i don't i'm not a big believer in that because sometimes it is just therapeutic or you just have a creative idea or a concept that just needs to get out and if it does get finished that's cool that's awesome you know but i don't think that everything needs to be done i think that sometimes we can just have a creative burst of energy that needs to get out and that's part of the process is like out of the 10 or 15 creative ideas and little bursts of energy that you might have maybe five or six of those end up being like something that you can expand upon and actually create a full song with right and then out of those five or six songs maybe only one of them will actually make it to the people and get released i think that's totally fine i think that's normal but it's almost that process where you just need to create it to kind of get it out of your system in some sense and move right. on to the next thing right or create yeah. it and wait for the finishing pieces to come so you have to sit on it for a while yeah or you might have a lot of creativity that are that's kind of like bottled up and this one might just be what pops that creative juice to keep flowing and that first one might not be the best you know like we can i mean that's kind of the fun of it is there is no pressure that every single song needs to be released right so you can kind of mess up and do some weird stuff and think out of the box and get a little creative and a little weird. And you know that if this doesn't work, that's cool. We're going to, it's, it's almost like, um, when he was going through, um, cause during the pandemic, Reap's mom passed away and then his, uh, long time, like six year plus relationship ended. And so he was writing about all these things. Right. And it's a lot of, emotional you know just need to get this stuff out right but part of the process of creating all that music was figuring out the best way to phrase these things in a way that can be consumed by the person listening and have it both like get the idea and emotion across but also get stuck in their head so sometimes the first two times you write about that it's not the best song for that reason right so you might need to t make like 10 15 songs that are in that lane and then one of those might be oh this is the one that's we're pushing that up uh, you know before all these other ones that we had lined up released or lined up for release and that's the next one we're releasing because it i don't know it like hits a certain way and it just works and we know it before we even get it out there to the people we know that this one is going to do the job that we want to get done to get done um and yeah so sometimes it really is like a you're just kind of like spitballing stuff and it's kind of in the same way that like a writer who's writing a book right you, you know that not everything they write is going to get publicly released 
And so that's a whole, that's pretty much the same thing where it's just a, an outlet for creativity and not everything has to get out there. I think that's super important that, um, a lot of artists that I work with might not really think about, um, that come to the studio, you know, that are like newer clients, um, that I work with. And so, and a lot of them don't have, um, you know, enough of a backlog of, of music to even try to think that way. I think that it takes a lot of creative energy for people to write out a whole song anyway. And so I think that, I don't know, becoming a, like a super addicted, like writing all the time, I think is super crucial for being an artist because you might not have, you might not always have the best way to deliver what you want to deliver. Right. And we're always getting better. So the more you do it, it's kind of the same way as really like hitting the Instagram algorithm, hitting the Spotify algorithm, you're hitting your own creativity's algorithm. You know, the more opportunities you give it to, to shine and to come up with the best way to deliver this idea. You know, you got 20 different entries right here. Pick the best one instead of, I got to put all my everything into this one. You know, if you come up with 20 different ways to say the same thing or, you know, tweak little bits of it every time. Uh, yeah, you'll come up with something that is going to resonate more so than the rest of them. Or you might even have a top three and then you find a new song that stems from those three. And it's really about, you know, just mining your creative resources kind of. <laughs> it's to, a muscle. Yeah. And you just have to constantly flex it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way with this. If I don't do a podcast for a week, and then mm -hmm. I do in the following week, I feel like I'm rusty. I'm right. out of whack. Right. Like, which is interesting because we're always engaged in conversation. So I'd imagine that is amplified tenfold when you're creating music. If you yeah. are writing and then you stop writing for a month and then mm -hmm. try to write again, you're going to be a little rusty. You're going to have to shake off the cobwebs and try to get back into it. Whereas Super. if you just stick with it and you're writing every day or multiple times a week, you're already in that state. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's that's the whole game is just constantly creating and just repetition. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the same thing with working out with everything, you know, everything, yeah. everything you want to get better at. Mm -hmm. You just have to constantly do that thing. Yeah. I notice it if I don't, uh, let's say I take like four or five days off from the studio and I'm just doing everything except music. When I get back, I'm like, what's the shortcut for this again? Let me, I got to Google something real quick to figure this out. Like it really, you notice it. Yeah. It's just, you just got to put in the work. I mean, everybody's looking for that, that one viral moment that's going to catapult them, but you're missing out on the other 99% that went on behind the scenes of just the dedication to the craft and putting in the work and the repetition that goes into getting that one moment. Yeah. I think that's, that's really all, anything creative, I think, right? Not even creative because, I mean, even working out. So I think everything in life, yeah, just isn't skill-wise at all. Like, that's really the whole thing. When you have a new guy coming to, or new gal coming to the studio who mm -hmm. wants to record something, is that half the battle is kind of disseminating that idea to them? That, yeah, this might be a great song, 
but you don't have to just create a song to put it out. You can just create to create. Mm, I think it's different with people that come in like that because I, so we have, um, we just started this thing about probably about eight or nine weeks ago now um, called church. And we do it at the studio every Sunday. Uh, and it's just uh, an open, it's really only, I've only been doing it with like artists that are kind of like a, a mine and uh, my other guys that I really like came up with and have been working with for a long time at our discretion for like who's kind of at this level. But once people reach a certain creative level, we, you know, depending on what day and who's doing what kind of vibe or whatever, we'll invite in other people to do this. But it's like just an open studio session and we are just, it's just open. Like, like you're just creating to create. Yeah. Like someone's coming out, they have an idea that they've been writing and they want to come record it and they might only have a hook and a verse. And then someone else hears it and they go, oh, I really, I like this one. Let me jump in. I'm going to start writing to it right now. And by the time that person's done recording the, um, the verse and the hook, this person has their feature verse now. So we're just literally creating in the moment. Because um, a lot of times what ends up happening with booked studio sessions is someone already has everything written out. So they're just needing everything recorded and then mixed and mastered they're already at the final stage of the process yeah and so they already have the you know the beat picked out maybe a producer sent it to them or they uh pulled it off youtube or whatever and um yeah and then they wrote everything out before they got to the studio and we're just recording it the best way possible but i'm giving them creative direction on okay, for this section right here, we might want to stack up like five more layers of vocals so that we can pan them and do all these kind of different effects. And we want dubs on this section and we want, you know, maybe ad-libs if necessary. Um, I think ad-libs at this point in, in rap is kind of, if you're not doing like a Migo style thing, it's like very, you kind of want to, bring down the ad-libs you don't need ad-libs everybody now after like migos popped and all this stuff they think you need ad-libs in every little pocket of the song and i kind of i try and talk people out of doing that as much as possible now because i feel like rap is evolving and it's not in that lane anymore but um but stacking vocals um and doing a bunch of that kind of stuff is is really popular really common right now um but uh yeah where was what was the initial uh you were talking about new clients coming in right yeah just coming in and wanting to create to put it out having the focus of i just need to put stuff yeah, out there yeah, yeah um usually for that i will tell people because the best way to do that i do that with my guys because I, we came up together kind of a thing and so i'm just like I don't really stress on them paying me right now all the time for whatever, but because I'm a business, I do have to operate that way when it's people that I don't really have that connection to, um, because bills still got to get paid, you know? Uh, but for those people, I always recommend that people, um, buy 
like even just a cheap uh home setup because and that's you know whether they figure out how to do every they can figure out how to do everything all on their own and don't need me anymore and i just totally ruined a client you know and i just you know let them go off on their own now um and i don't even i'm not in it for money you know like i i don't even pay myself yet from the studio it just goes into the business and reinvests in itself and um so that i can grow quicker you know that's the whole reason behind everything that i'm doing and um, that's the name of the game is yeah. you, you got to just reinvest everything to keep it alive yeah and so yeah that's kind of my whole business model with the studio so far um well in the church sessions sound like a cool way to just bring in creativity and get people working yeah. together and trying to figure out what they want and what direction they want to take their song and and, and find we, these missing pieces. We usually keep it at a certain level. Like I said, this like at our internal discretion for for creative reasons because it's like these people are all at a level where we know their creative input is valuable. And so and they might not have worked with other people that closely before. So it's creating like new relationships for building music and creating together, but also getting people outside their comfort zone. Like there are some artists that are um, at the church sessions that are very comfortable using auto tune and are using it all the time. And you know, we always use it tastefully. I'm a I'm a big believer in using tune if it's tasteful. I don't like the as, uh, unless it's an effect like the T Pain, Lil Wayne, fucking crank that thing all the way to to the max and go crazy with it. Um, if that's an effect, then I'll do it that way. But most of the time, I like to do like a real subtle. You still get the natural texture of the vocal in there. Um, I think that the the direction that music is heading right now people are kind of tired of with everything really is they're tired of like the polished up perfect everything and so people are looking for some rawness and some vulnerability some authenticity uh more just yeah like not super polished something real yeah and I, cause I think there's just been, you know, from podcasting, like that's the conversation that everything is shifting toward is, you know, getting away from like mainstream media more toward, this is a real conversation between two individuals and not some scripted cookie cutter thing. version that's yeah. just cranked out. Yeah. And, uh, so music is kind of in that same like Renaissance kind of period right now of, we don't want the overproduced crazy, you know, like the stuff that we were having in the early 2010s and like, you know, the Chris Brown style, like very, not that Chris Brown isn't cool still, he makes dope stuff still, but that 2010 sound that we were all hearing for however long of just like these way overproduced, crazy, super compressed vocals that are very very auto-tuned and they made it very apparent um and yeah so i like to keep a lot more sometimes more than um the artist is comfortable with keeping in there more like rawness to it but still using tune because people don't realize unless they make music that 
auto-tune is you can choose how crazy it sounds or like if you just want it to kind of assist the vocal into the pitch that is in that key that it was trying to hit and so there is a level of rawness and uh like natural like grit to the vocal that you can still keep while making it still sound pretty i like to use that word pretty because i like pretty sounding music but i also like gritty stuff and like grungy kind of kind of stuff this next reef song has like a really good balance of both but yeah how I mean, so what is auto-tune actually doing? Is it manipulating the vocals to fit the pitch or is it filling in the gaps? Uh, so if you put it within the key of the song, so you have to know what the key of the song is. Uh, usually using, like if in rap, typically you have a two-track, the stereo file of the beat, right? Um, from the producer. And you have to find the key of the of the beat and then... You're putting the artist in that key. And so you really just set auto-tune to the key of the song. And then you have some big knobs. They make it very simple. <laughs> uh, some big knobs that you can set the, it's called a retune speed and then the humanize knob. And uh, the retune speed is how fast you get that um, jump from whatever the input note is to the next note that is in that key. So, and it's in milliseconds. So the quicker, so if you crank it to zero, zero, that's T-Pain, Lil Wayne, early 2000, mid 2000s, um, uh, Kanye West, Heartless, that's zero, like zeroed out. We call that hard tune. And so when it's hard tuned, that's no natural voice. It's basically a vocalized synth at that point, you know? Um, so the less that you have that, so the further away from zero that you are on both those knobs, um, that's where you get some realistic kind of character quality. Yeah. Yeah. More character, more realistic rawness from the vocal, but you know, you're millisecond, you're adding more milliseconds, that it takes to snap the, the vocal that's coming in to the nearest pitch within that key. So you're kind of, instead of snapping it to all these notes real quick like that, you're kind of just allowing it to gently guide it to the note. And depending on the style of music, um, that can be really, really nice to have. And then you got to learn the the relationship between those knobs. There's another knob now on the new auto-tune called flex pitch, and that's a whole other thing. But it kind of just adds more into this relationship of the two knobs. But those are the main two. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very subtle but very important uh, thing to, to know how to use today. We've gone to studios where engineers don't know how to use auto-tune, and I'm like, why? Well, know how to use it. It sounds like know how not to abuse it in some sense as well. 100%. That's my whole philosophy with it is we learned how to, I learned how to use it initially by recreating Heartless by Kanye West. Uh, you know, like at that time, Ray Schremmerd was hot. So we were 
literally covering those songs in the studio in my grandparents' backyard. And uh, through covering those songs, we learned, okay, when we want this kind of a sound with autotune, we use these settings, right? These numbers. And then, you know, we want this, we want that. And then you kind of learn through that um, how to get any sound, really. How effective is it? Can you just plug in anybody, no matter how bad they sound, and if you know how to manipulate it enough, you can get it sounding pretty decent? Uh, or you have to at least have the underlying structure of knowing how to sing. Yeah, I mean, what it does, it reacts based off the input. So if you don't know, if you're just tone deaf and singing the same pitch the whole time or like very slightly changing at all, it'll just snap you to the nearest note within that key. It's not going to create like a really crazy melody for you. Uh, so you do have to figure out how to, um, that's actually another uh, good thing that I bring up for people who aren't used to auto-tune but want to figure out how to use it. We have a few different people that I work with right now that are learning how to use it effectively. And it is, you can be a good singer and sound bad with auto-tune and you can be a bad singer and sound good with auto-tune or you could be, it really, there's so many different ways that it can make something sound worse and sound better. And it really comes down to the input that's coming in because you have to learn about how your specific vibrato works with auto-tune. I've learned to just pretty much ditch the vibrato and it's hard for people who know how to sing well to just get rid of their vibrato, right? Because when you have a vibrato, depending how wide your vibrato is, and this is getting really into the weeds on this, but uh, I was in choir for like 13 years and, uh, and orchestra over 13 years as well. But uh, your like vibrato is like, you know, say there are like two different notes right here that would be in that key. And you're, the bigger your vibrato is, some people have really huge vibrato and I'm doing this visual visual because this is kind of what the waveform looks like right um if you think about like a piano key where it's like the higher and lower right here and so the higher or the bigger their vibrato is auto-tune might snap you boom 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 so then you get this weird like eh, like a crazy effect that you don't want because you're trying to make uh in, in the more recent case, we're trying to make an R&B song and you don't want the auto-tune to be noticeable. You just want it to subtly make the, the note drift better into these pitches, right? And you want it to be a smooth song and you want it to feel in key because we're so used to everything recorded pretty much needs to be in key now in some way or another, right? And then there's, there's also Melodyne, which is a more advanced uh post pitch correction software that i also am pretty good at i'm not like the best in it people get really good at that one um but so i'll use a combination of both so if we're doing like an r&b artist sometimes we'll track which just means uh if we're tracking with autotune that just means they're hearing the autotune in their ear while they're recording um but it's not being 
actually printed onto the audio. So it's like just an effect for their ears, right? And so we can hear what it will sound like when it's processed, but we're still getting the raw vocal. So what we'll do is track with autotune sometimes, then I'll bring it into Melodyne afterward and clean it up. But I'm maybe applying autotune afterward to still get the texture of autotune because it, it does provide a specific sound and texture that sometimes you want uh depending on the style of music that you're making and sometimes you don't want it uh and so you really just have to know that relationship really well and how to use different pitch correction softwares in tandem with each other and develop that relationship as well uh yeah because there's a lot that goes into pitch correction a lot of back-end work. Yeah. A lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And depending on the song, it could be really easy or really challenging. Uh, and the, and the, yeah, the type of song, really. There's some styles of music where it's really just a, you don't know what's going to work better. And then there's some where it's very easy, very simple, straightforward. You know you're going to use tune. You know you want it generally this level of tune and we're just going to keep that consistent throughout the whole thing and um if you spend the extra time at the recording stage to make sure that the take is good and that it is how you want it then you do less work post like with anything and that's how you get the best song that was a hard lesson for me to learn is that you want your pre-production stuff to sound as good as you can get it because mm-hmm. there's only so far you can go in post. Yeah. And the more you do in post, the more noticeable it is. So just try to get the clean audio, the sound that you want before you start recording. Cause once, once you go, this is what you've got. Yep. Yeah. It's always worth it to go back and re-record. Um, unless it's like with music, it's very, it's, uh, it's different because if the energy is there, in that because it's a performance every time right speaking is it's also a performance but there's a different level of performing when it comes to recording music so when that performance is the one that you know in that moment they were feeling it the most you could tell just from the energy from the i don't know something about certain recordings you can tell this is the one right we're not going to get that again uh, it's like, I'm talking about if you, if you listen back to something, maybe like a week later and you're like, ah, should we re record that? Like, you know, would it be worth it? And once you're out of that moment, I, it's really hard. I've noticed to, um, unless they're a really, really, really good artist that has been doing this for a really long time and they're very experienced, it's really hard to get them back into that exact mind state that they were in on that day with that energy to deliver that same thing but cleaner or better or whatever you know is bad about that one take um so outside of that scenario though it's always worth uh going back to re-record or you know trying to figure out or maybe you know they're out of town if you're doing a podcast or something like that they're busy and you know sometimes it's just straight up not worth it you know to go through all that hassle but uh yeah, for music, I think taking that time when you're in the moment right now to re-record 
anything, even if it's like, you know, even, even if you don't end up using that take, the, the, the one that you're going to re-record, but you still keep it. I keep every take almost. Yeah, I have, I have so much just recording information stored that I'm yeah. probably never going to need, but I just can't bring myself to delete it because it's like, what if I, yeah, you know, what yeah. if I want to go back and clean this podcast up more? I'm just going to store it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking terabytes of data that's just probably useless, but right. you just can't bring yourself to delete it. Yeah. Is that what I, makes the recording stage take so long is you have to capture the energy of the song and also get a clean take? So you're kind of trying to balance that out? Yeah, you're trying to balance that. And then, at least with me, there's always more that people... Um, really, it also depends on the on the artist and the level of... Like, I have a lot of information and a lot of, like, different tricks and things to help songs sound better and feel better and uh, all these different things that I've learned over time. But depending on the level of the artist sometimes they just want a simple record the main vocal and maybe they'll do like some dubs and that's it they don't want more and i've learned over time to just take a back seat when they know what they want that's what they're here for they don't want me to tell them we should maybe add some layers here and do all this kind of stuff and i want to do these other little things sometimes they just want a really simple like it is what it is and you know, you got to learn your space and your, you know, like where you can add to what they're doing versus when you're just going to be bothering them. Cause there is like a, a fine line of not telling them to do too much or asking them to do too much. Uh, and when to push an artist when you know that they can do better versus what they're capable of doing right now in the moment. Like learning that is very, very, it's the most subtle thing ever to figure out because you don't, especially if you don't know this person, but you can hear that they're able to do this physically, but maybe mentally right now they can't. And learning that, give them a little push, but learning that maybe today just isn't the right day for that. And something isn't connecting in their head the way that you know that it can on the right day but today just isn't that day and sometimes you bring that up and make that a point right if it if it really isn't working out and you know the song is ruined because of it or not ruined but you know like it doesn't sound great because of it right now and then other times uh there is just a you just got to let it go and learning that little balance is really the major thing that i've learned through opening up my public studio that now anyone can come book a session at because before i'm working with people that i've kind of helped guide and build from the ground up you know for years and so we have a relationship where they know and I know that I can ask them to do this this way or whatever and we've built up rapport enough for them to just trust in my vision and what I kind of want them to do to make this song better and yeah it's a very very interesting little relationship to to figure out well yeah it's 
an interesting process because it's not just the artist creating something. You're also creating something. Mm-hmm. You both are coming together to do this thing. And there's almost a give and take that takes place. Because yeah. they have this particular set of skills where they're doing the vocals and all of this. But you also have this back-end knowledge that adds to that. And navigating that relationship and not stepping on any toes or trying to add too much to where it's no longer their project that could get a little dicey especially like you said where now you just have people coming up and booking a spot yeah trying to get a session in yeah so i've definitely uh had to learn through that yeah and there's there's been a few different people over the years that uh i've learned pretty like i've i've kind of got like little archetypal figures in my head for you know okay this person is kind of like that person right i have different people I've worked with in my past where I'm like, I, I know generally if you fall into this category, okay, you're probably going to behave a little more similar to this person that I worked with previously, this person, this person. And um, there is a certain archetypal person that has popped up multiple times in multiple people where they're very, very talented, but because they're super naturally talented, I feel like they don't handle well with any level of criticism about what they're doing or like any level of like redirecting what they might you know feel is good for the song or any of that kind of so for when i run into those types of people i've learned now over time i just got to let them handle whatever they feel needs to be there whatever doesn't need to be there cut out things that even if i think that they're good this person is not going to agree because they have their vision. They're here to do what they want to do. They don't know how to get it there. Right. So that's why I'm a part of the process. I'm, I'm helping them get it to the end vision, but they know what they want there, what they don't want there. So what to take out of the song, what to add in all those kinds of things. I have to just take your hands off. Yeah. to submit to them. That's gotta be frustrating though, especially with, you think it could be something really great and they're oh, yeah. just like, nope, I want to take it in this direction. Yeah. There's been a, a handful of different times in the past where I'm like, ah, I really, this would have sounded so good if you just let me do this to it and, you know, just a couple little subtle things, not even anything crazy, but they know what they want. And figuring that out is, I think, a really good... uh I don't know. I think being an engineer for people that you're not like uh, building from the ground up, like I have with all my my people through City Hippie and, and everything else, is really hard to uh, to to navigate because it's new to me. You know, in the last like two years, I've had this uh, a little over a year, year and a half almost. Um, has just been, yeah, really a lesson in figuring out when to add to something, when, and and also kind of figuring out through the recording process and even before recording, figuring out what type of person this is, like emotionally, mentally, kind of so that I can decide in the session if I should bring these types of things up. You know, so it is a little bit of a mental game when I'm working with somebody new for the first time. But once I built up a relationship, then it's like, okay, 
you know I can deliver on my ideas and my concepts and you know a song that I've done for you turned out really cool so now moving forward there's a little bit more I can I can push a little bit harder you know and and we can work together to create something that I think you're capable of but you might not have ever tried so you didn't know you were able to do it and yeah that's the whole game <laughs> it's almost a master class in human relations figuring out when you can push a little when you need to pull back yeah how to balance the two yeah it's very and and also you know you're in a room with somebody that you've never met and sometimes they come in with a very vulnerable song and you know there's no other place really outside of like maybe a podcast if if they're you know really if that's part of their whole story you know you might bring that up like closer to the beginning but that's not there's no other place really where you go or unless you're like a therapist obviously but where you're going straight into a very emotionally vulnerable space with a stranger you don't know them in a they, very short time frame yeah yeah within yeah like 10 minutes hey how's them. it going okay now i'm yeah. gonna sing about my mom dying yep yeah i was i just had a session like that uh the other day dude uh yeah there's a whole relationship and all this stuff and i'm like okay i'm learning more about you five minutes after meeting you than i know about some people i've known for like a year you know well music's powerful in that way where it's just it encapsulates a lot of emotion in certain songs. Yeah. And I think that's, um, to me, that's part of the whole thing is like the, the emotional connection. If you don't connect emotionally to the people who are listening to your music, there's almost like zero chance that they're ever going to listen to it again. Whether it's a party turn up kind of emotion or a sad emotion or anything in between if you don't connect emotionally like it's what are you doing what, yeah like they're it's it's not not that that was a waste of a song but it's like you you could have done that better because there's always some way to tap into people's emotion and you just you just got to spin it in one of those directions but if you're not that's why i get uh <laughs> a little i get a little upset about some of the uh the rap stuff because i'm like dude you're not you're just rapping just to rap nobody asked you to <laughs> and there's no emotion behind it yeah like what are you okay you might He's in here talking and rhymes. yeah you might get you you might get a song that pops for a second but once your wave of hype is done, who cares now? You know, you're a, you're a trend if you pop. So building that emotional connection, I think is huge. I think that's, I mean, that's why R&B is so massive um, just in general. R&B, like people don't even realize how much money is in R&B versus rap. Like they're different. They're very different. Uh, but people who i like i like melodical rap essentially that's kind of that's what reef does that's what soul does that's um rowdy is now starting to tap into that we're getting him more he's a dude that i started working with when he was 14 and he's about to turn 20 i believe 
and uh he's local from out here but he got a really awesome fan base like pretty much from the jump because when you're younger it's a lot easier to gain fans because adults see you and they go oh that's that's cool because you're young and being creative and you're actually doing something right they they respect that they appreciate that and then kids are like yo my friend's a dope rapper like sharing all their stuff to all their friends and teachers are also like this is a good kid you know he's out here working on something creative instead of you know doing stupid stuff and so that's what where city hippie initially blew up was uh in the teens in the high school kids out here that i just figured out through then like at that time when we you know put out this song and it got like seven thousand plays in the first week on soundcloud only and we were like what's going on it's all the little brothers all the little brothers friends all the the kids that are in high school just sharing it and that's really the easiest way to blow up, honestly, is if you start young and you just keep pushing it and you share it to your social media, all the kids, that's, they don't have a job, bro. They're on social media all day. And they're always that's talking. Always. Yeah. You have a little more leeway in that sense too, because you are a kid. And so the expectation isn't set that yeah. high for you. Whereas if you're 40 and you're yep. just trying to rap, there's also that stigma of, oh, you're this is what this is the direction you're going but yeah. 14 it's oh this is awesome look at right. you trying to do this and you can build that support and then you have the added addition of you have so much more time to hone your craft exactly and that's the really that's the big thing i'm working with this other kid out here um named judo chop and he's from i think the him and his dad are from ohio initially and then i think they spent time in atlanta now they're out here and this kid the first time we worked to the most recent time that we've worked, huge, drastic improvement. And that's only been less than a year. I mean, it was maybe four months in between the, from the first time to the most recent time that I worked with him. And, you know, these kids, they don't have a job. So they can, they can got spend all, this time all to their just time dedicate to working. Yeah. Analyzing all sorts of different music and working and just writing all the time. And like I said earlier, I think that's the most crucial thing that you can do as an artist is write as much as possible. Um, because not everything is going to get recorded. And then out of the, everything that gets recorded, not all those are going to make it to the public. So it's the more you can write in general, I think just the better your odds are of, of even doing it long-term at all, really. If you and, and you getting any plays, like we have millions of plays on music that I've worked on. So I think I have a little bit to say about, you know, how to get some plays on something. You know, I don't have like platinum records or anything, but, you know, definitely made it from starting at zero with maybe a hundred plays on the new song that we post at most to, you know, million plus plays on some songs so yeah well from starting at your friend's house to now having your own studio yeah is that's pretty badass and that yeah. speaks again you started when you were young yep. and you put in the work and yep. then now you're reaping the reward to some extent of hey this is my my track of progression yeah and uh yeah and that's just, a pretty cool origin story <laughs> yeah i think uh i don't know 
I, I think really part of it is growing up out here and not receiving love from the other studios that were already doing something. You know, when I was young and noticing that I would have liked to have had a studio that I could just go online and just, I'm here and I belong here. The engineer is going to deliver on my vision. Um, and dude has good gear and knows what he's talking about. and works with a bunch of different artists that are kind of doing a similar thing to what I would like to do. Right. If I'm just beginning. And so that was part of the, the whole thing. And now I'm, um, September 8th of this year, I'm throwing my first show that's like produced through Juicebox audio. Um, that was always one of the things that I wanted to do is be able to throw shows that artists who work at my studio can get booked now through my studio to perform. Uh, and hip hop humble is another collective out here that is throwing a lot of shows that are putting on artists that, um, are out here making music, but also people that I'm recommending to them. And that's how a lot of some of some of these artists ended up getting booked through them and then through other places because I was like, hey, this person is coming to me with crazy dope music. People need to hear it. And so I would hit them and be like, throw them on a show. See how it goes. If they perform really well, maybe they'll get booked again. Now they're doing, you know, four or five shows in the last like six months or whatever. And just building the community finally. I feel like it's just barely getting started out here, uh, the hip hop community in Humboldt County. And part of that is through my studio. Part of that is through hip hop Humboldt and Al bear, um, who's also throwing other shows outside of hip hop Humboldt, but he's also associated. Um, and yeah, so I think that now for, I think we're on the way, you know, to, to actually cultivating some bit of a, of a community out here that is helping each other rather than, you know, like I, I feel like when I was growing up out here, there were isolated groups of people that were doing things at this studio or like doing, you know, whatever at their house and all these other little, but they weren't really getting booked at shows a whole lot. Like when city hippie came up, uh, I just spoke about this on the hip hop humble podcast, uh, a few days ago. But when City Hippie was coming up, the only names I would see on flyers were City Hippie, uh, Lyrical, uh, which is just chemistry now because Yanni, whatever. Uh, it's like inside stuff. But, uh, and then uh, uh, Not A Crew, which is now Rude Music and Lance and all these other people. But it was these three groups of artists and they would just rotate on shows. <laughs> and it was like that for like two years while we were doing shows out here. And now it's like you see these dope artists like Al Bear, you see Imani, you see Fresh Mix, you see Bobby Bo, you see all these that rowdy and it's it's cool to see like a bunch of new names pop up that, you know, weren't there when we were coming up as City Hippie and starting to get the name spread out there a little bit. We didn't see any of these kind of artists just on a lineup anywhere. Well, it's cool seeing that walled garden mentality kind of break down. Yeah. And now be replaced with this air of support where everybody's kind of looking out for each other and trying to help everybody come up 
together, you know, as opposed to, no, we're going to, we're just going to look out for ourselves and we're going to focus on getting our shine. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the whole mentality now for sure is like when this person drops a song, everybody, now there's a huge web of people that are all sharing it locally, that are all supporting each other. And I think that it, it needed to happen. And I, that's what I was wishing was there when I didn't have a studio to go to when I was trying to figure it out. And so now being kind of at the forefront of that feels cool. You're the tip of the spear, filling yeah. that void that you didn't have. Yeah. That's when I came back from LA, that's kind of what I, I, I saw all the studios out there. I was like, dude, what? You could go to this spot right there, this spot there. You could book online. You could walk to wherever. And there's like 20 studios all on the same block kind of a deal. And it's nothing out here that you could do, especially online. That was my thing is all the studios that do exist out here, you can't book them online. You got to call. And then if they're not there at that time, you got to leave a message. They got to call you back. Then they got to look at their books and see when they have time available. And I'm like, bro, let's just disrupt the whole market a little bit and make it more modern and you could go online right now book a session with me and that's it you don't even have to talk to me i get a notification on my phone and i have the chance to accept or deny so i got full discretion over what i want to do at what times and stuff i got your phone number already in when you book it so i can hit you up and be like hey do you mind if we could reschedule for this day or whatever um so yeah i think that that was needed out here like i didn't know that it was needed until i started it and i was like i don't know if i'm gonna make rent but i got this much saved up and i'll just pay for it until it starts to make money but luckily i haven't had a single month where i didn't make rent so now it's and it is always done at minimum covered that cost you know which i was thankful for because i didn't have to spend more money even though i'm not even paying myself in the first place to do this you know so um yeah and then now it's just grown and it's crazy it's booked out like um in the evening hours right now i'm booked out pretty much like two weeks two weeks out yeah damn every evening that i have available is booked up yeah it's a good place to be man it feels good it's uh yeah coming from nowhere <laughs> you know like Doing it all for free and now. Living in your car just for experience. Yeah. And now it's, uh, you know, not, I wouldn't say thriving, thriving, but it's doing well. You know, it's definitely paying enough for the bills and to invest back into the studio to buy new gear pretty much at least every couple weeks or so. I'm getting something new added into the studio. It's got a signature wall like three weeks ago. I got new macbook for you know like three months ago probably and yeah so it's been it's been fun to build it all out and see all these people come through and now that the i i guess i wasn't really visualizing it uh i felt the you know like for how busy i am i felt how long i was away from home but that was my only indication for like how many people really come through like regularly now that I have a signature wall there, everyone that comes through signs it. And I can see within the like three weeks that I've had it up, 
like, oh, this is like 25 names on there right now. It's only been, it's less than a month up, you know? So it's crazy. It's, it's interesting. Well, that's badass, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for you. I think it's, you're definitely providing a service that's needed in the community, you know? And it's cool that you're breeding that air of support. I think that's important. Yeah, it's super important, especially, yeah, for any, for creative anything, bro. Like the, the way to grow is to have support. If you don't have support from people, like there's no, that's the only thing that, that gets that's the, the name of the thing. game. Yeah, the whole thing is like, you know, if you don't have support from people, there's no, you're just making it just to make it, which is fine if that's your goal. But I think everyone's goal when they are creating music is to get booked for shows and go around and like, and show people their music, work with other artists that are in a similar position or are, you know, better um, that want to make cool stuff and that's always been it for me is just like making something that sounds cool and even if you have like a boring kind of lame song initially and you don't have any ideas beyond what you just wrote out and you want to just record this one vocal i make it a point to at least create a single i'll pull some moment at least one that's what i've always I think uh, Young Thug's engineer, Alex Tume, said it in an interview years ago. And I remember I watched it so many times over on YouTube throughout the years. And uh, he was saying that every song pretty much needs at least one moment, which is like a, a it's almost like a highlight, like the climactic point of the song. Right. And so even if somebody I just did it the other day on a song that is pretty static there's no real like changes in it but you create you figure out like what's the punchline or the focus of why they wrote this and you try and highlight that and it do whatever you can to kind of accentuate that whether that's cutting the beat and adding like a reverse reverb into the drop or adding extra delays and all this other stuff and you know, automating reverb so that there's like a, a very like impactful moment in the song. Um, anything to take it from like a very flatline dynamic thing that you could tell they didn't really like put a lot of thought into, put thought into the lyrics, right? But not a lot of people when they start making music think about the back end layers here i want to do these harmony stacks on this part i want um you know background vocals that turned into this effect that go in the back that just add a little bit of texture and nothing else really is just there for like a little extra feel that i'm sure probably 80 to 90 percent of people don't even listen for or even think that is there but it adds a it's a psychological thing more than anything and those little things are really important. And I remember when I was listening to interviews, like when I was learning about everything and how to make music, I was like, bro, that sounds like a bunch of weird. Like, I'm sure that, you know, there, nobody threw this thing in there just to have it there and make it sound a little different, just super low key in the background or whatever, but it's real. It's all those things are there. They're, 
they're important to the the feel of the song sometimes like everything is there for a reason you know there's all these different i have people do so many different layers just for texture and i'm not you know it sounds like one vocal sometimes and there's maybe five and they're panned they're doing all this thing and they're tucked back and i got eqs and all these little slight little effects on there that it just gives a a feel that you might not ever notice but psychologically you're hearing it you know <laughs> it's shaping the song it makes a difference yeah it does in the in the end because there's all these little it's like saturation saturation is something where you can apply it from the very jump and over multiple stages of saturation same with like compression and all these things they'll add a little bit of color and and a little bit of texture and throughout the whole process of your vocal chain by the end you get something that sounds better but you don't know why it just sounds better because it was processed through all these things that are adding just a little touch here and this one's adding just a little touch there and a little touch there and by the end you've got like six seven different types of saturation that are adding to the the signal that was already there and they just add this little touch of like magic just a little sparkle in there and over time you're building up little incremental bits of that to the point where now it just sounds great and you can't pick any one thing that was the reason for that but all these things added up incrementally over the whole chain create that and it's really cool well, I can't recommend it enough that if people are in Humboldt and want to book a session, they should go and at least just go check out the studio too. Cause again, you have a badass setup or Thank check you. out your Instagram and stuff. Uh, this was great, man. I appreciate you coming on. We'll definitely have to do it again. Yeah. Definitely. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find juice box audio, all your stuff, book a session. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, uh, at juice dot engineer is mine uh and the studio is at juicebox.audio uh you could just google it juicebox audio google recording studio near me and it's on there it's the top rated on google right now um in the area um juiceboxaudio.square.site is the booking website and yeah thank you for for having me on man i appreciate it yeah it was great man thanks oh yeah (laughs) 